welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hey, what's up everyone? Mike here. Thanks for tuning in once again. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love to know if we're hitting the mark with this content, how we can improve. And if you feel like it, please leave us a review on your podcast player. Today's guest is someone who caught my attention through his magnificent imagery on Instagram. It's Kirk Williams. He's the founder of impactoverland.com. He's on an epic adventure with his brother throughout South and Central America in a modified Ford Transit van. He's a C6, C7 tetraplegic. Man, that cannot be easy to travel through those countries that have access challenges. Um, and we're going to find out all about it today on the podcast and how Kirk managed to navigate his injury and uh, come out with uh, such a positive attitude um, and uh, the tools and techniques he uses to, uh, to enable him to live a life of freedom. He's definitely an adaptifier and I can't wait uh, to chat with uh, him today. Kirk, thanks for joining us on the show. Cool. I appreciate it. Um, thanks for inviting me to be on here. I'm, I'm excited to kind of share my story a little bit here, but... I am currently talking to you from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Uh, I'm down in South America. I'm from Colorado uh, in the U.S. there, and um, I'm a C6-7 quadriplegic, and I came to South America about four months ago to do a adaptive van life or adaptive overlanding trip around, uh, around the continent and potentially all the way back up through Central America and back into the U.S., Meanwhile, uh, I'm calling from an Airbnb because of the coronavirus. Uh, I've been here now and going on three or four weeks uh, and just kind of waiting out the storm to see if we can get back on the road. But prior to that, it's uh, I was down in Patagonia for the last few months in Chile and Argentina, and it was absolutely incredible. Nice, mate. Well, um, we'll definitely get into that. Um, tell us about growing up in Colorado. I presume that's where you grew up, or did you grow up somewhere else? I actually, so I grew up in Virginia uh, on the East Coast, and uh, I grew up mainly being an outdoorsman. I was a, a big uh, mountain biker, um, not so much rock climbing until I moved to Colorado, but just racing mountain bikes all over the place, a runner, um, an athlete, uh, kind of a, a bit of a redneck of sorts, working on cars, motors, building Jeeps and four-wheelers. And then I came to Colorado, uh, I guess in 2005 uh, for college. And that was kind of uh, a first glimpse into world outside of Virginia, outside of a, a rural, smaller town. Um, and when I got there, I'd, I met all these other athletes and skiers and climbers and people, you know, where you would go out to have a bar or to have a drink at a bar and you're talking to a guy and you realize he's a, a pro skier for Solomon or he does this or that. And <laughs> it's a real active community, which leapfrogged my, my outdoor sports tenfold to where I was now doing every sport I could and, and trying to um, photograph it. And, and, and then taking classes, I guess on the side was my, to my parents' chagrin, I think they think I was there mainly for school. I think I was there mainly for outdoors, and there happened to be a school. Uh, but <laughs> regardless, I fell in love with the place and got sucked into Colorado and haven't left since. 
Uh, nice, man. It's It sounds, you know, when you when you leave high school, it, isn't it amazing how the world open up, opens up to you? Um, and, and Absolutely. And you, you start discovering, like, all these amazing all these amazing things. Uh, my first trip outside of the country was to South America, and man, my eyes just the the world just expanded infinitely. It seemed, yeah. and um, the possibilities that were that were there were super exciting, and and I felt so incredibly free. I imagine, uh, I imagine that was you in Colorado, um, feeling incredibly Absolutely. free. Yeah, so you hit the nail on the head there. Travel. There's nothing that can can teach you more about yourself in the world than than travel. I highly recommend getting out there and getting out of the ordinary um, as often as you can. Pick right back off. So, yep. so everything's everything's going swell for you. You're, um, you know, obviously you're enjoying taking photos. You're enjoying um, life in this uh, this beautiful community. And something changes, presumably. What uh, what happened? All right. So yeah, I went, um, as I mentioned before, growing up, I was a big cyclist and I raced all over the country. And, uh, after I graduated college in 2009, maybe three months after post-graduation, I was out on a mountain bike ride, a typical ride with a bunch of buddies, uh, on a trail that was right near my house that I rode multiple days a week. Um, and I'm riding down the trail and a guy's coming up and the way, mountain bike etiquette works is you give the downhill rider i mean the uphill rider excuse me the right away so they don't have to stop their bike and try and start back up you know going up a hill and so i was bunny hopping off the trail to give them the right away um not going that fast at that point and looking to get back on the trail right as i passed them i caught a stick under a piece of sagebrush that i didn't see and it kind of stopped my front wheel and i went over the handlebars uh wasn't a bad accident by any stretch of the imagination. I didn't, you know, scratch the helmet, didn't break the skin, uh, shoot, you've tripped over your shoelace harder walking, you know, it's, it wasn't bad, but the way I hit the ground, I shattered three vertebrae in my neck. Uh, and the guy who was riding up the trail, um, jumped off, came over to check on me, saw my body kind of go limp and, and looked over and saw I was still conscious and said, what's your name? And I kind of said, you know, I'm Kirk. He goes, Kirk, I'm Dr. Dave Shinton. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. He goes, I think you just suffered a spinal cord injury. And this is literally 10 seconds after it happened. Oh, um, man. So kind of a crazy thing. You know, I, I kind of attribute, I have a very optimistic attitude on on things and life in general. And I think things happen kind of for a reason when they're supposed to. Uh, the good, the bad, the in-between. And uh, I wouldn't risk or wish this injury on anybody, but if it was bound to happen, at least it happened on something I loved. Um, and that guy was there to help me and everything through cutting the camel back off and getting, a, you know, riding down to get cell signal to call a helicopter and all that sort of stuff to, to start this kind of master reset of, all right, what's Kirk's life part two? Man, what a what an incredible what an incredible way of thinking. I mean, after this doctor said to you, you know, I think you've got a spinal cord injury. What 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 registered for you when he said that? What did that? What did you think about that? You know, I, I had heard the term, but only in the context of Christopher Reeves. You know, Superman falls off a horse as a quadriplegic. Mm. I had no idea really what it entailed. 
Um, you know, I, I think I joked with them and I was like, tell me some good news, doc. Like kind of just messing with them. And I was making jokes and, mm. and my friends were kind of going around saying, you're going to be fine. And they're like, can you feel this? Can you feel this? And when I started saying, feel what their faces I could see went from like, you know, we'll get, you'll be fine, Kirk. You'll be riding in no time to like, uh Oh, Oh shit. This is, this, this is serious. But to be honest, I wasn't thinking long-term. I was thinking, I remember vividly thinking I had a set of headlights for my car. I was bidding on eBay and I knew how long this ride <laughs> took in time for me to get home and double check that I was still winning the bid on, you know, a $40 set of headlights or something ridiculous like that. Um, I had a job interview as with kind of one of my dream gigs that week. And I was thinking, man, this is going to really screw up my interview. Like, hopefully I can still make it on time. And, and I was planning on moving and it was all these short term, like when you injure yourself, the first thing is the pain. The second thing is like, Oh, this is going to be inconvenient. Um, but I didn't realize kind of that, it, you know, my life had just changed at that point. It was more all short term. It's interesting. I share a similar, <laughs> a similar um, story around that. I, I was yeah, obviously lying in the hospital and had just been told I'm, you know, never going to be, you know, never going to walk again. And, uh, and I was actually literally told that. And, um, wow. and, and, uh, you know, at the time I owned a, a rental, a rental property and I was doing some renovations with it. And, uh, and I was, uh, I was saying to my wife, Hey, you've, you've got to call the, you know, the air conditioning guy. He's, you know, he's, he's, you know, behind schedule and he's, you know, <laughs> so I, was, right, I just, right. uh, you know, the, 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 the penny, the penny had sort of dropped, but I wasn't, I, I wasn't. I, I guess I hadn't accepted it at that point, and I was still clutching on to um, life as life as I knew it before I'd had that accident. When absolutely for you, when did it? When did the penny really drop? When when did you have that sort of? When was your darkest darkest time? I guess I kind of came to uh, to realizing that that you know life had changed. Maybe. I don't even know, maybe two weeks after the surgery. I, I remember, I remember, you know, talking and making jokes, uh, kind of as I'm laying in the dirt and we're waiting for the helicopter to come and kind of saying, I'd, you know, Dave, the, the physician, Dr. Dave Shinton, who we're now good friends. He told me later, he's like, Kirk, I don't know if you remember saying this, but you kept saying, well, you told me you don't need to be able to walk as much as you need to be able to use your pointer finger because you're going to be a photographer one day, your shutter finger. And I was like, I don't remember that. But he told me this right after I had started a, a drone photography business. And so it was kind of cool to hear that I was already thinking like optimistic thoughts, even right there. Hmm. Um, and then I remember the helicopter landing and me saying, you know, I wanted to see the helicopter. I'd never ridden in one before. And I'd always wanted to. And, and, and they flew me to the hospital and I remember talking to the surgeons and not being scared, not being worked up or, or concerned at this point, but the surgeons, you know, coming in and saying, we did an x-ray, you've broken your neck, the quicker we can get you under the knife, the better chance you have of regaining function. And I remember that it was, I forget the first doctor's name, but the other one was Dr. Witt. And one of my best friend's name is Witt. And there aren't that many wits that I know. So that gave me kind of some comfort. <laughs> and I kind of said, all right, guys, good luck. I'll see you on the other side. And uh, and then it was after that that I woke up and kind of coming out of the, the drug-induced delirium and being like, why is where am I? Where, why is my family here? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And that was kind of when the coin flopped. I was like, oh, 
something, something's changed a lot, you know, and just the look on my parents' faces. But I never really went through a deep depression. I got frustrated. Um, I had a, maybe a day or two, which is, and I don't know how or why it worked out this way. Um, I know a lot of people struggle with it a lot more. And I'm very fortunate that my mindset for better or worse in most circumstances shifts from if plan A is no longer an option, what's plan B? And I don't even think about plan A anymore. Um, I don't think about how good of a cyclist or how good of a photographer or how, where Mm -hmm. I was going or what I was doing. You know, that's not, you can learn from your mistakes, but dwelling on what could have been and regretting, I don't feel like it's always beneficial to moving forward. And so I remember being upset a little bit about saying, well, if this is karma related, this shouldn't have happened. I was a good guy, you know, and I held the door for people. I, I donated charities and I did this and, you know, and then I was athletic, so I wasn't doing something stupid. And, you know, why me? That that went through briefly, but honestly, I would say for like an hour or an evening, I cried twice that I remember once then with my dad talking about that. And once with my brother trying to get out of my wheelchair into a standing frame and being like, what, what the hell has happened to me? I was an elite athlete and now I can't slide myself two inches to get on this chair and just breaking down. But, um, but turn that anger into a kind of like, you know, screw you. It's going to take more than this to stop me kind of attitude. Mm, Yeah. I like that. I like that. So it sort of drove you on to, you know, rehab, right? So, so through your, through your rehab, what was, what was the, what was the hardest thing you found about um, your rehab? The hardest thing, man, you know, being frustrated, I had trouble, I'll admit, uh, listening to kind of my PTs and OTs sometimes because, you know, I had the, a little bit of the attitude of, you don't know what it's like. Yeah. You can tell me like, this is how you have to do it. And I'm like, you don't know how hard this is. This isn't how you have to do it. Um, versus like I, I started wheelchair rugby pretty soon after my entry. And that's the, the number one thing I tell any person who goes through some sort of life altering injury, if, especially if you lose mobility or a limb or something, um, is to find other people who've been in this game longer who are similar and, and don't be afraid to like meet them and ask them questions. And rugby did that for me. Um, it brought me, it gave me th- that attitude we were talking about earlier of, uh, of seeing other people who were living independent lifestyles, who were married, some had kids, some were travelers, some had cool ad- adapted cars or boats or, you know, different hobbies and, and gave me this limelight of like, wait, my life doesn't have to be over. It's not that I can't still do the things I love. I just need different gear to do those things now. Um, and that was kind of the biggest turning point. I know rehab is hard on everybody, but I I'd, was very fortunate there. I had good counselors. I was at Craig hospital, which is kind of a renowned spinal cord rehab facility. Um, and they are based in Denver, which is a half hour from where my accident happened. So I was very fortunate for that. And they also have a huge, one of the few rehab facilities that have a huge like therapeutic rec department. So they have hand cycles you can try. try. I went scuba diving in an aquarium, you know, three months after breaking my deck, my neck, and I'd never been scuba diving in my life. Um, <laughs> well, so it was, it kind of, quickly jumped me into this, like with the right attitude and the right team and the network and the, the community and the support, like 
you can still do this. You can still, you know, be an, an adventure athlete if you want or paint or take pictures or whatever. Man, it's so good uh, to hear that uh, you had those resources and uh, and that community. And interesting you said about wheelchair rugby and seeing other people do those things. One, one of my first – at first I didn't actually want to associate with any any other wheelchair users, any other people with spinal cord injuries. I think it was mm-hmm. part of me just kind of not accepting that this was now my – my gig. Um, but when I did, I, I went on a, a sailing camp and man, I, I saw, uh, I saw how guys were just pretty, you know, the PTs and OTs are always telling you about watching your skin and they're always very protective and right. sort of wrapped you in cotton wool. And I went on the sailing camp and guys were basically throwing themselves out of their wheelchairs and onto the ground right. and shuffling along the, the dock and into the boat. And, yeah. and they, they just weren't, very precious about it you know they 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 took care of, of their course. skin they they had the you know protective pads they wore and and whatnot but i was just like holy moly these guys this isn't stopping these guys you know and these girls they, they they're going for it and uh right and and i i i really enjoyed that so yeah I, again yeah. i i recommend uh, i recommend everybody do the same if they can yeah and what the textbook says is not always practical for real life like you learn your body you know and you learn positions and and what it can handle with those sort of things and within that there's a lot of wiggle room um so yeah, yeah i agree i've met some people that you know have, have been injured for five ten years and, and hardly left their house and hung out with anybody uh, else with a similar disability and kind of i meet them and they see you know me doing this or that and they're like oh i thought you had to you know always do this or for instance i don't take any medication at all um zero and people are blown away. They're like, I didn't even know that was an option. Aren't your spasms insane? And I'm like, they, yes, they are sometimes, but I hate the way it makes me feel, you know, mm. stoned if I'm taking that stuff. And so, yeah, that, you know, you, I guess it's good to listen to physicians and, and make your own judgment, but it's also good to, to talk to other people and to try and see what works for you. Yeah, absolutely. I remember one technique. It was a sort of a transfer technique. Actually, it might have just been a bed to wheelchair transfer technique. And the physio taught me to um, transfer using my palm down. And uh, and I wanted to use my fist because I could get more leverage. I could get slightly higher. And it just it felt more natural to me. And they they're like, no, right. no, you, you you can't do it that way. You shouldn't do it that way. And and I just didn't listen to them. And I, I went ahead and just used the technique that worked for me. And I still use it to this day. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. and uh, and I'm like, uh, you guys, you you know, there may be some physiological reasons why they they describe that, but it didn't it didn't feel natural work for me. So yeah, I, I encourage you to experiment for yourself and develop your own techniques. Um, you know, yep. for sure. And a big one I see continually uh, especially for quadriplegics and and probably what's your level you're like a t12 i think right a t10 yeah t10 okay yeah but so it affects you too but even more so for quads is uh chair fit and and the functionality of how you fit in your chair versus what they say is is the best for your posture and your body um and they tend at least and the world that I've seen uh, coming out of hospitals is to set a lot of quads up high in their chair, kind of like how you sit and your uh, how Paris sit, mm. and more upright and without any core strength at all, 
it's really hard to do anything functionally in front of your body without feeling like you're going to fall forward, mm. you know, steep ramps or any sort of rough terrain or something, any bump can throw your body forward. And because of that, you're like trying to balance a wet noodle out of water, you know, all the time in your chair <laughs> and, and it just makes it really tough. And once again, wheelchair rugby, I, well, first off the sport chair, you're in a much more aggressive position, but outside of that, I started noticing everybody, everybody in their everyday chairs were designed way different than what I left the hospital in <clears throat> to try other people's chairs and, and figure out it. I think it just goes back to the textbook of what they say, how a chair should fit you and what you functionally would be best in could be two different things. So don't be afraid to to talk to people with similar abilities and say, why do you sit so deep in your chair? You know? And for me, like I can use my elbows to balance myself. My tires are high enough up that I can actually push down on my elbows without shrugging my shoulders to, to lean, to grab something, or mm -hmm. I can hold something now in my hand and use my elbows to push around um, and move with a drink or with whatever in my hand at the same time. So I sit really deep in my chair, but it, because of that, uh, I'm a lot more independent and, and functional than if I still sat really high up, like they sent me home from Craig, you know, from the hospital in. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay to get a second opinion or a third opinion and, and not always trust implicitly the advice of one one person. Uh, Absolutely. You know, I often hear stories of people that, you know, may have been diagnosed with, uh, with, with something from one specialist and they go to another and they go, well, actually, no, it's not that. It's, it's uh, something else entirely. Or, you know, someone goes to a specialist with a concern, I think this is, you know, skin cancer. And they go, no, no, it's, it's just a mole. And they go to someone else and they go, yeah, we've got to operate straight away, you know? So, I mean, right, right. I, I, I recommend, uh, I recommend, yeah, and talking to Absolutely. talking to people with uh, with firsthand lived experience as well as those that are trained professionals, so you get a bit yep. of a balanced uh, a balanced uh, uh, base of knowledge to totally. uh, to go forward with. Yeah, hey, um, Kirk. So just for those listening, tell us a little bit about the the, the function that you were left with in your body, just to give some context. So I have. Uh some trice, I have zero hand dexterity. Um, so I can't open or close my, my fingers at all actively, any one of them, thumb or anything. And then my left arm has, uh, some tricep, only one of the two tricep, or I guess there's maybe three. I'm assuming that's why they call it a tri. So anyway, um, <laughs> I don't have full tricep strength in my left arm, but it's stronger than my right. And I have, zero tricep in my right. So I can't actually push my right arm vertically above my head, um, like a fist pump kind of thing, but I can on my left. Uh, and the, and I have wrist flexion on my left where I can go against gravity. Kind of, if my hands pointed towards the sky, I can point my hand up versus my right hand. I can't do that at all. Um, and it doesn't sound like much, but those two make a big difference. Um, I think if, it, there's a lot of, especially in rugby times, a tricep being a huge one for pushing around or for floor to chair transfers or whatever mm. um, that are, is critical or working out. That's the big thing too. I find when I work out with resistance bands and stuff, there's a lot of times that I my right arm just collapses when I'm trying to do certain exercises just because there's no way for me to keep it straight 
versus my left arm, even just having that one tricep makes a huge difference because I can actually keep my arm locked out um, and do certain things. So and then no abs or anything from chest down at all. Oh man! <laughs> wow. So what what sort of uh, wheelchair do you, do you use, and what other equipment do you find helps you um, you know achieve even just daily things? The chair I'm in now is is made by a company called Hands On Concepts. Uh, I'm lucky because I, I received received a, a scholarship or a grant to get this chair. Um, and being kind of a semi pro cyclist before my accident, I'm very attuned to wheelchair fit and parts and everything. I want it kind mm. of precise. And this is a, a really small company out of California where I actually went to the shop and, and designed it and then spent four days watching the tubes get bent, hanging out, doing time lapses and videos of what of creating my chair. And I could, you know, add or move it if I wanted it a millimeter wider. They're like, sure, whatever you want, we can do it right here. And so it gave me this ability to build a true custom one-of-a-kind chair exactly the way I, you know, I saw it in my mind. Um, but I've had tie lights and quickies, and there's a lot of great, you know, chair manufacturers. Um, as far as daily aids, you know, the one I just used this morning, the first one that comes to mind is this company called Active Hands. Um, and I think it's activehands.uk. They're out of the UK or .co.uk or something. Uh, but it's another quad who makes kind of a grip aid that it's a wrist cuff that you can then put your hand, like you make some for weightlifting, but also for other things. But um, a dumbbell being a good example for me to lift weights, I don't have the grip to do dumbbell reps or anything like that or hold on to uh, bands or anything. But these gloves... I put on my hand and then it essentially goes around my fingers through a cuff and Velcros to itself to keep my hand cinched tight around something. Um, so whether it's a dumbbell or a knife or a, you know, a hatchet or a broomstick or anything like that, it now gives me the ability to hold something tight. And then I can use my, my muscles in my arms that do work to, you know, to hold it. Uh, that's so good. Yeah, we had Rob Smith. He's the founder of Active Hands. We had okay. him on the podcast um, in season one. Yeah, it's amazing, amazing products. Perfect. Yeah, go and go it and is. check them out for sure. Um, yep. And I went and actually caught up with Steve from Hands On Concept when I was in the states uh, a few months ago. And uh, yeah, nice. what, what a guy! And um, yeah, he really knows his stuff. So uh, yeah, well, well worth um, considering. Um, yep. you know, custom chair from, from those guys or any of the other companies that make custom chairs to, yep. um, you know, it is all about sizing them, you know, to your specific needs. And there's, there's and, actually, and what I, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say there's, there's quite a, there is quite a bit to it, you know, and, um, so uh, it's worth spending the time, uh, understanding that if you can. Absolutely. And you know, what I love about Steve and, and his shop is, if you have any ideas, he's willing to do those too outside of the, the chair. You know, if you want a, like I had uh, a custom kind of dog leash slash keychain holder idea that he welded a little tie rod onto my chair so that it hooks my dog leash just perfectly. Or I, I have a removable cap for the top of one of my front casters that actually a monopod camera mount slides into and hmm. so all these little nidbits i have a what's called a super arm wheelchair lift on my van it's a really weird kind of swingy lift and uh and they basically you have to put webbing with a d-ring on your your wheelchair in order to use it normally 
Mm. Uh, but I had an idea and Steve actually wrapped my side guards in titanium and then reinforced the inside of my side guards with titanium and poked holes. So where I hook carabiners into my side guard because they're now titanium reinforced side guards and that <laughs> swings me in and out of the van. And that's, it's the only chair in the world that does that. And that's because those guys were willing to to take my crazy idea, you know, and, uh, and I could kind of sign my life away saying, Hey, if this breaks, I, I promise I won't come after you. It's my own fault. And, uh, and make something that's, you know, a huge advantage for me. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, it's it definitely is all about adapting and looking for ways to make make things easier for your specific needs for sure. Um, yep. So tell us about uh, tell us about you're out of the hospital. You've been playing some wheelchair rugby. What did life look like for you uh, in the years that followed that? You know, the first few years was all about for me. Uh, it was taking my somewhat stubborn attitude and pushing it towards how can I live an independent lifestyle. Um, again, having aides for the first year or two who had to come in and help me to bed at night and help me get out of bed in the morning made, you know, there's nothing I wanted more to be able to just go to bed when I was tired, not because it was eight o'clock and somebody was there to help me. Um, oh man. Yeah. And, uh, I was lucky in a lot of regards there. My brother lived with me for a year and helped me, which gave me kind of that freedom, but I was still on this, this quest of how can I do everything myself? Um, and along with that was regaining my driver's license again. That was huge. You know, it, uh, it went from now my range was no longer just three blocks around my house, but it was, you know, wherever I wanted to drive, um, that plus rugby. Now I'm meeting guys and I'm, I'm going out to their house and seeing how they've set up their kitchen and their bathroom and saying, wow, okay, with something like that, I could at, you know, shower by myself or with that cooking setup, I could cook at night. And, you know, these are kind of putting these wheels spinning into how to adapt, how do I um, figure out this, this new lifestyle I'm given and what are the tricks to make my life easier? Um, and it's kind of exciting once you think about it, you know, that the overall picture is daunting at first. You're like, how the heck? I can't even, you know, brush my own teeth, much less, you know, uh, I don't know, do anything else. And But as you slowly work down the list, each time you figure something else out, it's more than just like, you know, uh, all right, the, you know, the room looks great in this color paint I chose. It's like, no, now that I can, you know, uh, cut this tomato, I can cut all these things. It's more life-changing Um <laughs> excitement or rewards. I don't know what, what I'm trying to say there, but what was the hardest thing you had to, you had to adapt to get your independence back? Honestly, going to the bathroom was one of the last things that I was figured out. Um, and that was really hard and a very private thing. That's really tough for me to do. You know, I could getting dressed. It was all the personal care things, um, getting dressed, showering, bathroom stuff. Um, what advice would you have for somebody that was, you know, considering, you know, considering trying to, to find a way to do things independently? And and, you know, what if they can't? What if they they discover they, you know, they they've tried everything and they can't? What what's what, what would you say to a person that's in that position? You know, the the hardest thing for me to accept, and I think a lot of us in this is being okay with asking for help um, and knowing your limitations. And, and slowly 
accepting them. And just because you're accepting that maybe you can't do something now um, doesn't necessarily mean that you won't be able to figure out a way to do it in the future. You know, all those great ideas, those light bulb moments of why didn't I come up with that? Or why didn't I think of that? There's a lot of them that can still happen with things. But my advice goes back to the rugby and goes back to the the networking with other people. Um, if you can get out of your comfort zone enough just to be around them, you don't even have to talk or try and do too much out of your, your comfort zone. I still learn from just watching people, um, how somebody transfers onto bed or how they, you know, my gears are always spinning. So I, I think just be aware and don't close yourself off because something's challenging and just say, well, if I can't do this, I'm not doing anything. You know, and, and instead take that as like, okay, here's what I can do. And with this and maybe some help here, I'm able to still do this and, you know, and maybe meet these people. And that I think will kind of snowball into a lot more cans than can'ts. It's really interesting. I just had this thought. Um, I used to do a lot of rock climbing and, and, uh, and so, you know, you'd be, you'd be climbing and you'd get to the seeming, seemingly, um, impassable point on a, on a rock climbing uh, route and and you'd be you know you'd be getting pumped and you'd be you'd be getting scared and you, you'd be thinking about I'm going to fall and you you can't see a, another hold you know another decent sized hold to grab onto to uh, continue your um, upward movement right and and yet there was uh, you know uh, I would see a, 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 another tiny foothold that was only you know maybe uh, you know, three or four inches above my current footholds, right? And when I stepped up just that short amount further up with these footholds, all of a sudden I could see other options for for other handholds. That that right, you right. know. And so I guess my point is, if you just take a, a tight, you just a tiny step or a tiny change in your technique, one way or the other, you might discover. Uh, um, a path through and a way to a way to, a way to do something and, and it's like you know you could it could be just as simple as going to somebody's house and having a conversation that then opens up a whole other course of action or it could in fact completely change your direction of your life so I, I think being open and curious about even just taking the smallest steps absolutely can can and, and open a pathway and taking a second to, to look down and think about how can I do this a different way? You know, what, what can I change? And I kind of joke that I can live a very independent and free life if everything is set up the right way. You know, if you set glasses on the top cabinet, forget about it. You know, I'm not able to get water anymore. There's no way I'm going to be able to grab a glass down mm. from up there. But, you know, if things are where I can reach them and things are set up for me and, and transfers and stuff for me, too, if the chair's in the right position, if things are right, then I can do anything and, and or I can sustain, I guess. Um, but that's come with 10 years of me figuring out what are all those little nuances and how do I capitalize the most on them. Um, mm. And, you know it's the tricky situations where you learn the most when you fall out of your chair and you're camping by yourself in the middle of the woods and you're like, well, shit, you know, this, this is going to be interesting. But your dog comes over and throws a tennis ball to you and says, you know, while you're down there, do you mind throwing this ball a few times? And you're like, you know what, we're going to figure this out. We're going to get through it. And, uh, and now I can 
officially say I can get back in my chair off the ground. Man, that's an achievement. I mean, I find that tough and I've got full upper body function. It's um, yep. it's, a, it's a credit to you for finding a technique that works and, and, and probably for totally. perseverance. Um, Kirk, I'm just browsing your Instagram page here, uh, yep. Impact Overland, and man, it's clear that um, that you and and uh, you have some real flair for photography and and of Thank course, you. course adventure as well. Tell us about how Impact Overland uh, was conceived and um, okay, and and how that uh, that journey unfolded. Sure. Well, it goes back to kind of what we were just talking about right then. Uh, and it's if I had, I realized over the last handful of years that if things are set up in a way that I can do them myself, um, then I have this sense of independence and this sense of uh, freedom that, you know, I can take with me. And what dawned on me was if I can design a vehicle um, like an RV so that, uh, what I have is that camper van. It's a Ford Transit uh, four-wheel drive van that has kind of my apartment on wheels. It has an ADA or not ADA, but my own designed little apartment on its back. And I designed that whole van, um, you know, with a bed that I knew I could transfer into, with drawers I knew I could open, light switches that were in places where I could reach them easily, USB outlets that I could use two hands to plug into, you know, without having abs, which means they're close to me. They're in center places where you wouldn't normally put them. But I designed this whole van with all my tips and tricks. I have the the knives I can use and the sink I can, you know, the soap dispenser. All every detail is now all crunched into this little platform, this little this little freedom vessel, this mobile home. And with that, it's like I anywhere I drive, I now have accessibility. That's a four wheel drive van. It's easy for me to do anything in that van. It's the second I get out of it that it's like, okay, now what? Now how do I do this? Um, <laughs> and that led me to now traveling a lot all around the U.S., up into Canada, into Alaska, and falling in love with now I can get back in the outdoors. I'm doing photography again using mainly drones. I started a drone company five years ago um, where I, I have freedom from sitting in one place in my chair, even without using having that shutter finger um, moving that I was talking about earlier, but flying a drone and getting these incredibly uh, unique and exciting angles all from my chair. And so combining those two things, I knew I wanted to travel, I wanted to take pictures, and I wanted to do something that was meaningful for the world. And that's always been my goal, pre-injury, post-injury. It's it's always been a quest since the first time I left my country. It, and and saw different parts was how can I make a career of this and how can I share my stories with others? And that eventually led me to, to coming down to South America on this impact overland quest. Um, my goals are kind of twofold to teach people about this adaptive van life, because I think it's something that few people consider uh, right off, off the, you know, especially fresher injured people. They think, you know, I was an active outdoorsman, but Maybe I'll never, or woman for that matter, and maybe I'll never, uh, you know, go camping with my kids again. But there are ways, and by creating your own little safe haven of an RV or a bus or the back of your Subaru or whatever you have, there's a lot you can still see and experience that way. And so I'm trying to use Impact Overland to teach others who have the means in more Western countries who can maybe afford this sort of lifestyle more or have funding that can help them 
um, to do that as well as use my my photography and my storytelling and the networking to help try and raise money and bring wheelchairs um, on a most fundamental level to people who have who don't even have access to a wheelchair uh, which is another thing travels taught me you can complain about handicapped parking spots or doors not being wide enough or the bathroom somebody using your stall until you go somewhere and meet somebody who hasn't left their house in, in a decade because they don't have a wheelchair and they can't walk you know and when you see somebody like that and you interact with them and you realize the hardships they go through you quickly shut up about you know the the little things in your life and realize wow there's a much bigger picture and we are really fortunate um, to have what we have I forget the number, but there is an extraordinary amount of people that uh, require a wheelchair but do not have one, um, yep. and and that's yeah, man, that's heartbreaking. Um, that's that's man. Uh, without a wheelchair, I mean, we would be we would be completely lost. You know, I mean, I, yep. I, I, it means so much to me. People complain about you know having a wheelchair but man it is it is the difference between freedom and not um absolutely even a couple of episodes ago um Catherine Beatty was saying that um you know for the longest time she resisted uh, getting a wheelchair she was born with um cerebral palsy and okay once she got her wheelchair she felt free it was uh, it was incredible so nice um so it's, it's it's great that you've got the um, got the heart and the insight to to help make an impact there, Kirk. Uh, yep, that's that's Thank really you. that's really fantastic. So tell us about um, some some of the travel you've done um, in South America. What, um, what what has been some of the some of the best days you've had, um, and, and what made them so? All right, um, let me think. It's been kind of an an interesting trip as far as timing goes to be down here. Uh, we shipped. First off, I'm traveling with my brother, um, and that's because South America as a whole is not very accessible. Um, And the van, and and I can drive, and like I was kind of saying, as long as I'm in the vehicle and getting around and that, I'm fine. But as soon as I'm out, you know, for instance, every border has multiple steps to get into. Mm. Um, or the, you know, so just to get your passport stamped or to go to a grocery store, it's usually a step or two in and out of the buildings. Um, they do that a lot down here because there's rainy seasons and stuff and they don't want the water rushing in. So they do, it's almost like a, it's not even one step up. It's like a curb, like you step over it and back down on the other side, which is the most tricky in a wheelchair because now it's up and then four inches and then back down another four inches. But so he's traveling with me on a motorcycle. I'm in the van. We both kind of help each other. Um, I'm kind of his support vehicle. He's my support human, if you will, and helps me through um, the times I need help over things. And um, But when we came down, Santiago was having riots um, right when we first arrived, which kind of was crazy timing. Uh, they were protesting, and, and it was kind of unrest. But fortunately, our... Our vehicle still made it. We had to wait an extra week because the dock workers were were not working. They were protesting too. Mm. Um, but we picked those up and quickly got out of the city, and then everything started to make sense. I knew why people had said this place, this country's magical. Um, as we're going down into Patagonia, you know, on, on dirt roads and back country windy roads, it was just turned into I don't know, like the. the 
like the Pacific Northwest of the U.S., so really thick vegetation and and ponds and huge mountains, and it was just uh, gorgeous. It, it's a photographer's dream um, to come down here. And just around every corner, I feel like there's something interesting you can take a picture of, and it just kept getting bigger and more vast and and uh, kind of turn into the Alaska the further we went. So. I don't know. Honestly, I think it's all been an incredible experience, even being in Buenos Aires right now. Like it's unfortunate what's going on, but there's a lot of, of, uh, good things we have going for us. So I'm still excited, still having a great time and just kind of hoping this, this doesn't mean that we aren't going to be able to travel again. Hopefully this doesn't, you know, take six or nine months to kind of fizzle out. Yeah. Hey, so for, to, to really, grasp what Kirk was saying about the photographer's dream, you've definitely got to check out his Instagram page, impact.overland uh, is the handle. And it's, I mean, it's a feast. It is, it is well, an thank you. absolute feast, <laughs> man. Honestly, um, you know, you say that the landscape is, is photogenic, but you've got to have an eye for it. And you certainly do. Um, it's thank you for anyone for for anyone thinking that a, a reasonably high level quadriplegic can't uh, can't travel and explore the world, check out uh, check out this Instagram page. It's it's phenomenal. Um, so, Kirk, what what I mean, obviously, there's some uncertainty as to what's going to happen with uh, COVID nineteen and 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 yep. whatnot. But you know, so you, presumably you were you were down south and you made a you made a sort of a run for it back up to Buenos Aires. Were you thinking you would have to expat back back uh, to um, America, or were you uh, heading back up that way anyway? What was what happened there? Lucky because we're not on a huge time constraint, um, and that would have been that would have made us probably pack up and go home a lot sooner than we have. Uh-uh. And so what had happened? We had made it to Ushuaia, which is the southern tip of Patagonia. It's the the, the furthest most um, drivable city in the world. Um, and we we made it there to the end of the road, and we kind of said, okay, this was this is where most people who do the Pan American Highway hit that and say, okay, I'm done, I did it. You know, we had shipped to Chile and then gone south, and then we're working our way back up. So it was kind of a different experience for us because we hit it and said, okay, you know, this is kind of where we were going for the last few months, but time to turn around. Our trip's just begun. You know, let's start heading north now, mm. and. So we turned um, and, and drove back and went through, kind of took different routes home through Torres del Pine and all these huge glaciers. And and the, the uh, geography kind of shifted from lots of green and glaciers and water everywhere to more desert climates in Argentina and into vast deserts and then into kind of wine country um, and Mendoza region. And then we kind of worked our way over towards Buenos Aires. So this was always kind of, on the list of places to hit. And we were just working our way north and then going from here into Uruguay and into Brazil was kind of the plan. And we had spent planned on spending a week here. We had rented this Airbnb. We found something which is, we realized then too how difficult it is to find lodging that works for me, that has a shower I can get into, a bathroom, mm. um, no steps, that has parking nearby, all those sort of things. And this is the first time this in four months that we've rented a place. We've just been camping the whole time. So once we moved out of the van, it was like, man, that was kind of a pain in the ass. Like, no wonder we're just staying in the car the whole time. But we <laughs> we, we got here before the COVID thing happened. Uh, we spent a week 
And we liked it so much. And my brother is an architect and he loves big cities and, and wanted to explore more that we said, okay, let's extend it another three or four days. So we did. And as those four days kind of came is when all, all the coronavirus thing was picking up. And we're looking at each other and we're saying, how serious is this? There's this thing going on in Italy and it's starting to spread. Should we uproot from this apartment and, and try and make it to Brazil? And then we can explore Brazil while this is going on. Like, how much are they going to shut down? What, what does this mean? And we decided, you know, we were comfortable. We had a good spot. It's, it's cheap, relatively speaking, uh, lodging. Uh, we're spending less here than our budget allowed for gas. So we're actually doing okay financially. Um, and so we said, you know what, let's wait a little bit longer. We know this place works. We know I can shower on my own here. I can get in the bathroom. It's got a swimming pool. It's got these things that are nice. Let's just hang out here. And as we did, it quickly shifted from, you know, all right, this might be a threat to Argentina being a proactive country and saying, all right, we don't have that many cases yet, but we're going to shut down all international flights, all the borders, everything before it gets bad. Hmm. And they did that two and a half weeks ago now. So I haven't left the apartment in three weeks um, at all, period. And so we we didn't fortunately have to race to get back here. We've read travel stories of other people who, if you have foreign tags on your license plate, uh, the police officers are actually finding you and forcing you to leave their city just because they don't even want you there. They don't know where you're from. They don't care. They're just oh, like, wow. not allowed to stay here. Um, they're making people stay in campgrounds and using police to go get like produce and bring them food, um, because they don't want them out walking around. And it's so in the grand scheme of things, we're very lucky that we were here ahead of time. We found a place that works. We're good. We've got a grocery store two blocks away. The car is a block away and get things out of it, you know? Mm. And so rather than rolling the dice and trying to find something that maybe is 10% better, maybe on a beach somewhere or something like that. We decided, you know, why don't we just cut our losses and say, this is actually pretty good. Um, we'll just hang here and, and wait and see. And so that's kind of where we're at now. And, and now we're kind of like, just, I don't, we were talking this morning. I don't know how long is too long to, to wait, but realistically we thought this trip would be about a year total. And it's, if this goes on for five or six months and we've already been down here for three or four months, you know, is it really, do we keep going or I don't know, we're just playing it day by day, I guess. Wow. Well, hopefully by the time this podcast goes, uh, goes live, you'll be on the road again. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and hitting, hitting North and, and, People can check uh, check that out. Check your status out on your Instagram page. I guess you'll totally. soon soon see whether or not you're there. Kirk, look, mate, it's been been incredible uh, chatting with you. I take my hat off to you. I love, I absolutely love your you. your attitude and um, and your optimism. I think it's something we we actually share. We share that. I I am awesome. curious to know how a person you know develops that if they if they're not sort of made of that stuff uh it's something that yep. that um that uh, that i'm curious about do you have any do you have any thoughts about um about that <laughs> i do and, and I, I kind of one of my more recent instagram posts talks about it and uh i don't i don't think it's the the, the therapist approved way but um sometimes i i found that switching your mind to thinking of how much worse off you could have it can actually make you more optimistic and thankful and present on how good you do have it. 
And, uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, like while I'm in this apartment, for instance, saying that I could be in a campground, not able to leave and police doing this, like, Mm. fortunately I'm here. Mm. And, you know, soon after breaking my neck and, and complaining, I remember I worked at a a spinal cord worked out at a spinal cord rehab facility for the first year or two. And, uh, I would go in so frustrated, like, Oh, it was so hard to, you know, get dressed this morning. And it was really hard for this. And then there's somebody who's a higher level injury. Who's like, Kirk, I can't even feed myself. And when I realized they can't lift their arms, I'm like, I'm going to shut up now. I'm complaining about not having grip, but they can't lift their Mm -hmm. arms and they're still in high spirits. That is a kind of a twisted way to do it. But you know, when you fall out of your chair or when something, you know, a big challenge arises, you can't leave your house or, or whatever. It, it, as cliche as it sounds, it could always be worse. And it, you can be optimistic that at least you have what you've got here. And then how, what can you do to, to make it a slightly better one, you know, one foothold at a time. Such wise words, mate. Really, really appreciate that. I think uh, I think it's a it's an incredible way of um, of looking at life. Um, tell us where can people find out more about you and and uh, your foundation and um, and your continuing journeys. Okay, cool. Yeah, the the best is uh, probably the Instagram is what I'm pushing the most at impact i m p a c t period overland, uh, and then at impactoverland.com uh that one doesn't have the period it's all one word um will be a website that has more resources i'm working in this time to try and and get more about my van so those who are interested in kind of adaptive van life or adaptive overlanding um, can network with one another and do things like that on my website Uh, and that will have kind of longer stories and blogs and those are kind of the two best. I have some YouTube stuff, but nothing that keeps up. Uh, the, the best bet is really just Instagram and reach out to me there if you have any questions. Or um, And then I'm working with what's called the Walkabout Foundation, uh, and they're out of the UK, and they're the ones who deliver wheelchairs for $250 uh, American dollars. The They'll deliver a wheelchair, or they can get a wheelchair delivered anywhere in the world. And it's an adjustable chair with bicycle-sized tires, so they can get replacements. They have biannual checkups um, to make sure the chair's in the right hands and it keeps working. And they teach people how to work on their chairs. and And that's kind of the group that I found I thought was the best to to try and raise the money for, and then hopefully get an entire shipping container full of wheelchairs down here to South America. Um, somewhere of my choosing to kind of pass out to people who could most benefit from them. Uh, it's so good. I'm just looking at uh, your uh, your fundraising page here. Um, okay. Cool. Check, it, check it out, guys. Um, you know, 50 bucks is um, yeah. one, one fifth of the way to giving somebody the freedom to to move. Uh, so, totally. yeah, go do it. Throw, throw a donation down there and, and let's get some wheelchairs to some folks. 100%. Absolutely. I'd appreciate it. Big time. Kirk, well, um, mate, it's been been absolutely wonderful to speak with you. I wish you and your brother well um, as you guys Thank uh, you much. ride ride out this lockdown in Argentina. Um, and uh, I can think of worse places to be. I love Argentina; it's a, it's one of my favorite yeah. favorite countries. Uh, I've had uh, really good memories there. Um, and look, I, I I'd love to stay in touch and um, absolutely. 
of course, I'm going to follow your your journey with interest. Adaptive van life uh, certainly appeals to me. My wife and I did a did a sailing journey. We we sailed across the Pacific um, a number of years ago, so we kind of know what that self contained nice. travel is is like. And I think more so now with um, with you know my my injury, you, you, it's um, I, I think it makes perfect sense that you've got your your little vessel that you can. Um, feel safe and and you can live live well while in you know pretty remote and challenging environments um i, I think yep. it's, i think it's a great way to do it um awesome thank 100%. you 100 so yeah safe, safe travels mate and um you know hey uh, i say this to everybody that comes on the show and, and i mean it wholeheartedly if you um if you make it down to new zealand um uh, there's a there's a bed here for you and um awesome. and we'd, we'd uh, absolutely we'd love to show you show you a good time down here so um uh, come and- it's on the list I'd, i've looked into to shipping my van there um, that would be a dream absolutely well maybe i'll build one to your specs and we can just, there you just go. do a van swap Even better. <laughs> yeah, perfect that's that's the best case scenario because yeah that would be awesome all righty mate well um yeah take care and um yeah be, be in touch soon thanks for joining me i really appreciate it thank you i appreciate it take care i hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind-the-scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.